Hi, everybody, and welcome back to yet another crack and installment of the Map Round Show. This is the Built in Texas show where I'm connecting you to some amazing startups just doing amazing things. Today is no different. Uh, this gentleman, his name is Andy Schoonover. I'm saying it like a South African as I said a word. <laughs> uh, but uh, Andy, welcome to the show, dude. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Anytime, man. Uh, so, Andy, um, crowd, join crowd. Do you say join crowd health or crowd health? Join crowd health. Join join crowd health. Okay, cool. So, we all recognize like the healthcare uh, system in the US is, let's just say, it's it's not uh, as good as it could be. Challenging. Um, <laughs> I was at the doctor this morning, dude. Uh, so, like, mm. this is a very timeless conversation for me. So, um, but maybe for our viewers and, and audience around the world. Maybe if you could just touch a little bit on your background and a bit about the origin story, and then we'll kind of take it from there. So yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. So this is my uh, my my second shot at healthcare. First one was um, doing remote patient monitoring. So we were monitoring folks with chronic conditions out of their homes. We were monitoring blood sugars and blood pressure and weight and things like that. So if you have just a heart failure or COPD or diabetes, um, we would be monitoring that information and getting involved when, you know, some of your, um, you know, stats go, go crazy. So if your, your blood sugar spiked, we would call you and say, Hey, you know, what's going on? Are you not taking your meds? Are you, did you eat something you should have eaten? Things like that. Sold that company and vowed never to be in healthcare again. <laughs> um, and little did I know that I, here I am, I'm sitting and doing healthcare again. But, you know, I, I sold that company and, you know, most of us in the States, you know, get our health insurance to our employer. And so given that I sold that company, I wasn't working for them anymore. I didn't have insurance. So went to healthcare.gov, got um, insurance from from them. And it was 1200 bucks for me, my wife, and my two girls. And uh, I, I joke, it it worked until I had to use it. My little one was having you know recurring ear infections, go to the ear, nose, and throat doctor. She's got uh, a hole in her ear, and she's got a perforated eardrum. And uh, so we go to the local hospital, get that fixed. It was a 15-minute procedure. Got the bill in the mail, and it was $8,000. I was just like, wow, like eight grand for a 15-minute procedure. Like, well, you know, this is what health insurance is for. Like, this is the whole point of us having health insurance. And then we got a, a note in the mail from our health insurance company saying it was medically unnecessary. And so they weren't going to pay for it. Um, you know, this, despite my ear, nose, and throat doc saying she was going to lose her hearing if we didn't get it figured out, my, my health insurance said it wasn't, uh, they weren't going to pay for it. So I had to stroke an $8,000 check to the local hospital. I was like, man, this, this sucks. Like I quit. Like I'm not, I'm not paying for health insurance if they're not going to pay for my stuff. And so, you know, I've been uninsured for I think two, two years, two and a half years, something like that. Um, and it's been great. And, you know, through that develop some tools to allow, you know, people to operate outside of health insurance. And that's kind of culminated in, in crowd health. Mm-hmm. So, um, so Andy, is this about access to affordable healthcare, or is there more to it than that for you? Yeah, man, I think there's more to it. Um, I, I want people to have access to affordable healthcare, but you know what? The, the, as I did some research on this, what I found was is that um, you know one out of five people that are on these healthcare.gov plans. Um, their their claims are denied. So one out of five claims, about one out of five claims are denied on these healthcare.gov plans. Like mine, I was the one out of the five, right? And so, you know, and and eight grand is like 
not a small thing. I've been super fortunate. I can, I, I, I did it, but you know, 95% or more of Americans don't have eight grand sitting in their bank account to pay for, you know, something that's pretty, you know, is not unusual, right? Uh, you know, getting tubes in my daughter's ear is not an unusual thing to happen when kids are little. So, um, and so, so I kept doing research and like 250,000 people go bankrupt every year, even though they have health insurance um, as a result of, of a healthcare you know, issue. And so I was like, man, like, how do you have human flourishing if you are, you know, at the precipice of going bankrupt if you have a health event? And that's just the way that our insurance system is set up in the United States. And so, you know, it really is trying to figure out, you know, how do we how do we improve this so that people aren't, you know, going to serious distress as a result of, of health, you know, health insurance costs? Um, so that is the that is the, the main motivator um, for me. Um so yeah, that's that's it's it's primarily around you know cost and, and things like that. But you know, there's kind of a secondary thing here too. You know, one of the things I've, I found is, um, you know, we have a society in the United States that is, um, you know, forty percent of us are obese, um, and you know the other economically developed countries are half that. So we have twice as many obese people per capita. And there's something going on there. And, you know, those those folks take up twice as much health care as the non-obese people. Um, and so, you know, I'm trying to figure out, like, how do we build a system to incentivize people to take really good care of their bodies, um, which would reduce health care costs, but I think also allow them to just live a more full life. Um, and so that, that's a passion of mine, too. Um, so between those two things, those are my primary drivers of, of uh, starting crowd health. Mm-hmm. So let's let's get into the the main meal of uh, yeah. Join Crowd Health. So just um, maybe to to springboard us into what you guys actually do, um, I wanted to kind of share some stats. So while you were talking there, um, from an uninsured perspective, this is like now uh, healthcare and in, people who are like uninsured, like no coverage whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Uh, the number of people under the age of sixty five uninsured uh, is just under thirty million people. It's a lot of people, man. Yep. Uh, um, and then the stats go on, even private insurance, percent of persons under the age of 65 um, with private with private insurance is only 60%. So it seems to me like this is a, a, a systemic issue that people are just not prepared for, right? Um, and so even like at, I was talking about like I was at the doctor this morning and I said to him, yo, like you're a doctor. You tell me like <laughs> I had to pay like $155 just to get in there. Um, so you tell me what kind of coverage I need. And I, and I could see him putting like CPU cycles into like what he should say, uh, because it, it, there are so many options and there's downsides to a lot of them. Um, and so on and so forth. But, and when I first met you, I was like, I'm so glad I'm meeting you because I've just mm-hmm. arrived here. And I actually think that what you're doing is what my family needs. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Uh, be, because it's it's like a minefield, and like that story about you, that you mentioned with your your daughter and having to cough up like eight grand. A friend of mine who actually um, his name's Marco Bricardo, based out in, funny enough, in Austin, Texas, of all places. <laughs> uh, but uh, he told me also, um, like his daughter apparently sprained an ankle, and they were like no, 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 it's, it's like, they think it's broken. So they went to the doctor um, and they, and they had x-rays and things like that. And it was just a bad sprain and he mm-hmm. had to pay 12 grand. 
And that, and I think it was like, even with coverage, he still had to pay like a ridiculous amount of like additional yeah, huge fees. deductible. Yeah, it was yeah. like, it was astronomically huge. Um, so this is a major problem. So what have you guys done? Like, how are you solving it? Yeah, you know, so I, I think the, the the major issue we have here is that health insurance companies who are supposed to be our agents, you know, they're the ones that are supposed to be negotiating with hospitals and doctors and things like that to get really low, you know, low rates aren't actually negotiating. Like they actually have an incentive to keep prices high, um, which is crazy. You know, we have we have an we have a principal agent problem here, right? Like, oh, there are agents that are actually not incentivized to reduce my cost, and so that's that's the problem. And so I, you know, I I kind of joke with people, right? Like, um, the buyers of healthcare, which is these health plans, and these sellers of healthcare, which these hospital systems, both want the price to be high, and therefore it doesn't take a PhD in economics. The prices will be high, <laughs> and and so they people are maybe like, wait, wait, hold on a second. Like, how? Why do health insurance companies want these prices to be high? Well, um, they are actually they're maxed out at the amount of profit they can take at fifteen percent of premium. So, if my family, just to use easy math, has a thousand dollars of premiums, they're maxed out at one hundred and fifty dollars worth of profit. So how do they make $165 of profit? They have to increase my premiums from 1000 to 1100 right? And so they're actually incentivized for me to be sicker, right? To have premiums go up, to, to have claims go up. And so so they can charge more. And so that there's this just crazy incentive system, perverse incentive system within American healthcare that the... Um, the kind of the agents of ours are actually incentivized to work against us. Not only that, the largest owner of doctors in the United States is United Health Group, the largest insurance company. So the insurance company who's supposed to be negotiating for us with the doctors actually own the doctors. So how does that work, right? There are some serious um, conflicts of interest there that, again, it just you know, there are so many things within this system that actually, you know, escalate the prices that, you know, for us, we say, look, like we should be, we should be negotiating for ourselves as individuals and introduce, introduce consumerism into healthcare as opposed to these big companies negotiating for us. And so that's how we are, we, we bring down costs is if you went to the doctor today and said, Hey, I'm going to pay in cash, you will get probably a 30% minimum better price than what the health insurance plans are paying. And so why is that, right? Because that doctor is getting cash at the point of care. If they have to bill the insurance company, one, they're not going to get it. They're not going to get their money for 60 or 90 days. Two, they have a billing staff in the back that has to, you know, actually bill the insurance companies. Three, they have to run it through a system that takes six or eight percent off the top. Their billing system takes six or eight percent off the top just to bill it. Three or what am I at now? Four, whatever is the um, oftentimes the doctor actually has to get approval from the insurance company to pr pr do the procedure that they think needs to be done. So we have, you know, four things there going on that is keeping them from operating efficiently. And, you know, from the stats that I've heard is about 30% of the doctor's time is dealing with, you know, admin and insurance, mm -hmm. right? And so we have this just huge admin structure um, that 
you know, we're, we, we spend about $4 trillion in the United States. 30% of that is, you know, $1.2 trillion on administration costs alone in this, in this country. So if I can go in and I say, I'm going to pay cash with my debit card at a percent and a half fee, would you prefer that or something that takes all of this effort, all of this time? Um, and the doctors, you know, 99 times out of 100 is like, give me the debit card, right? Even though they're going to get paid less for it. Mm-hmm. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there, I know being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely experience. You sometimes get stuck, don't you? Well, if you're like me, being stuck sucks. But what if you could access the minds of over 850 CEOs who have built companies generating billions of dollars in revenue and access all of that knowledge in a fraction of a second? Well, the good news is you can literally do that today. What my team have built is Matt Brown AI. It is trained on all the interviews, over 850 of them that I've done to date, all my books, all the knowledge capital that has been generated over the last 10 years right here on the Matt Brown Show. And you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well, head on over to mattbrownshow.com and at the top, you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up. It's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers. So crazy, crazy stats. Because um, I'm like, you, you're talking. I'm like, how big is this opportunity actually? So the health insurance market, uh, according to uh, God, aka Google, uh, was <laughs> <laughs> was around uh, 2.1 trillion dollars last year, and it's estimated to hit approximately, uh, and this is just in the U.S., 3.6 trillion dollars by 2028. That's a staggering number. Isn't yeah, it? and that's non-governmental. That's non-governmental numbers. And so if you add the government on top of it, it's another a trillion and a half to two trillion. So is that the market opportunity for you, would you say? As a- yeah, I mean, I think, I think your stats were great in the beginning, right? We have 30 million people who are uninsured. Um, I think it's another 100 million people who are un, under, um, or 150 million, something like that, under commercial plans that they get through their work. Um, and so, and then, and then you've got another 15 million people who are getting healthcare.gov plans. So the way that we look at this and we say, okay, 30 million uninsured for sure. People who might, you know, be interested in us, we think these healthcare.gov plans are crap. And so there's another 15 million, um, because these are high deductible, high premium type of things. And then I th- what we want to do is we want to build a direct-to-consumer experience where we can peel off 5 or 10, maybe even 20% of the people who are getting health insurance through their, their work and saying, man, health insurance stinks. Like, I don't want it through my work. I want to get it through a true, like, direct-to-consumer experience that's really, really great. Um, and so if I can get 10% of those, I mean, I'm up to 75 million people potentially, Um in in as my my target market so mm-hmm. you know it's 25 percent of the population or something like that mm-hmm. um and if it goes really well i think it can go higher than that but that's way big enough for us to make a, a substantial a su- substantial impact on the u.s healthcare system mm-hmm. and a substantial company so um those are the numbers that we're looking at 
Um, exciting, right? Especially if you can figure out like a platform <laughs> to do it. You know, if yeah, only sure. you could build something and give someone an alternative. <laughs> I'm being mm -hmm. facetious here, <laughs> if you haven't noticed, because you've actually done this. Uh, so, like, how does it actually work then? Like, what is what is crowd health? Let's land that first. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, typically what happens when you have uh, health insurance, right, is you 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 know write your premium check and send it to the insurance company and it disappears. Um, and we do it differently. So what happens is, is when you sign up with Crowd Health, we have an account for you. We call it your crowdfunding account. You put money into that account every month. If you're under 55, it's 175 bucks. So 175 bucks goes into that account. Crowd Health takes $30 of that. So 145 is left in that account. And every month, 145 will be added to that account, right? Um, and then if somebody in the community has a health event, then we will come to you and say, Hey, Matt, you have $1,000 in your account. Andy's daughter broke her arm and it's $5,000. Andy's going to pay the first 500 bucks of that. We want to get the remaining 4,500 from the community. So will you be one of that, let's just say 45 people to give $100 to Andy to help him with um, his daughter's broken arm? And if you say yes, then $100 will come out of your account. So your account will go from $1,000 to $900. And it'll be transferred to Andy's account. And then we'll do that until Andy has that $4,500 plus his $500 to pay for his daughter's um, broken arm. It's voluntary. You can say yes or you can say no. And so then the question is like, okay, so why would I say yes to Andy's broken arm, right? Or Andy's daughter's broken arm. It's not like you know, childhood leukemia or something that like tugs at your heartstrings. Well, when I submit my um, my health event to the community, you also see my history of giving. So has Andy's family said yes to everybody else's health events or has he said no to everybody else's health events? So in essence, it's a it's a, almost a reputation score that shows what, you know, if I'm a good member of the community or not. And if I said yes to everybody's health events and you're like, oh, yeah, he's been a good member of the community. I'm going to help out Andy. Right. If he said no to all everybody's health events, I've been a crappy member of the community. And so you're probably going to say no to me. Right. And so there's this in it, kind of this um, reciprocity engine that that drives the 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 drives this, you know, to make it successful. And so far, I, th I think we're up to like twelve hundred bills or something like that, that. Um, have come from good members of the community and and every one of those have gotten funded. So it seems to be working, you know, really, really well. And that's everything from a, you know, a $59 pediatrician visit to, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars for, uh, you know, brain hemorrhage. Um, we've got, you know, a, a number of cancer cases right now that are, that are hundreds of thousands of dollars. And so we can do the the small ones and the big ones. And it seems to be, you know, e equally um, probable that these will get funded. Mm. Well, it's fascinating, right? It's, it's truly, it's truly novel. Um, but I do think that there's some things, even if they're novel, that are like a hundred percent true. One of those things is reciprocity, or this idea of like givers gain. You know, so like <clears throat> even if you take this show for instance, like. I know I built reciprocity with you, right? Because I've given you something mm -hmm. uh, like a platform of exposure. I know it's true because irrespective of like, I don't do it to get anything back. I do it because to generate like help, right. And contribution sure. and things like that. And this is like the idea of like, I'm benefiting the most by doing the shows makes sense. Mm -hmm. And I do like 50, 60 shows a month. That's a lot of time <laughs> to yeah. be, to be giving. 
uh, to to the world, you wow. know. Um, mm-hmm. um, but maybe just to unpack the novelty side of it, like I've been uh, while you've been talking, Andy, I've been sharing uh, some of the social proof from your from your website. I'll bring it up again. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like it's, there's there's a shit ton of like people who are like, oh my god, this is really novel and amazing, and like you know, help, 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 like great, great, great proof, proof, proof. Um, what have you found difficult about you know getting adoption? Uh, at scale like the w- mm-hmm. the way that you have you know what i mean like because it is it's like crowd health like what i yeah. must i must uh i must give to get like you know what i mean like it's yeah, very, yeah. It, it's sure. the opposite isn't it it's like like i'm giving my money usually away hoping to get something back one you know what i mean like it's a fundamental different uh, approach or fundamentally different approach yeah and that's the challenge right it's like your health and so you know ultimately people are most concerned about you know, if something big happens, will I, will, will somebody help me? Um, and I think, you know, part of this is just understanding that we've kind of been like programmed to think that health insurance companies will definitely step up if, you know, you have something big happening. And it's, I'm trying to explain to people like, that's not actually the case. Like they, 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 they promise that they're going to get, um, you know, they're going to pay your bills, but Oftentimes they don't. And in fact, you know, almost 20% of the time, this is the Kaiser Family Foundation came up with this stat, almost 20% of the time, they don't actually pay the bill, right? And so that leaves families in a, in a, you know, a a tough, tough position. And so they regulatory can say they promise, but they don't. We regulatory say we can't promise, you know, we're not taking on the risk, the risk is still yours. Um, but most of the, I mean, almost all the time now we've, we've gotten the bill paid, you know, small and big. And so it's, it's really kind of getting people to understand that health insurance is not the only way. And so, you know, if you think about it, right, like our, our early adopters here are people who are like fed up with health insurance, want something different, want to be a a part of a mission to change the way that we do, do healthcare, um, and so, you know, we get a lot of single folks, a lot of, you know, people in their, their late twenties and their thirties. Um, and you know, our average customer is like 35 or 36 or something like that. And so they're, t- they tend to be, they tend to be younger. And so it's been, you know, kind of an interesting journey to try to reprogram people to think that, uh, you can pay for your healthcare in a little bit of a different way. So um, I just uh, I was on your website looking at how much this all costs, and I see um, you've got like different pricing. Uh, this is where I'm, uh, it'll be clear where I'm going with this in a moment, but sure. it's kind of like you know age zero to five, two twenty five, and then it kind of you know goes up to like families for six hundred and ninety five dollars a mm-hmm. month. Just from a commercial perspective, like how do you model something like that? I'm fascinated to to unpack that with you. Like I've done loads of commercial models and things like this, so I'm very passionate about it. Like, how do you, how do you model, what have you learned about effective modeling for something like this that is novel, that is crowd health, that is truly new, it's in a white space in and of itself, to make sure that, like, you know, you're able to provide a continuity of service, right? Because the worst thing that could ever happen is like, yo, (laughs) like, I'm in shit and I need help and I don't get it, you know? Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, like many startups who are doing things that are like totally different than the way they currently have been done is nearly impossible to model. Um, you know, and, and, and so uh, candidly, we like, we, we looked at there's some other, um, things out there that are kind of similar, you know, there's these sharing companies out there that are kind of similar to the way that, that, you know, we work, at least they have some kind of, of similarities. They're not totally mechanically the same, but, 
Um, so we looked at those and then we just said, Hey, we, this is our best guess. Um, and so, you know, we've been doing this now since April of last year. Um, what we found is that we're right at about 30% of the money that you put in was, has been used for crowdfunding, which means that 70 cents on every dollar that you put in is still sitting in that account. Um, so we have not, you know, asked people for very much of, of what they put in because, we are getting um, about 52% reductions in costs as a result of negotiating these bills as individuals, as opposed to, you know, a health plan. So we have a, an outsourced provider that's helping us negotiate these things and we're getting, you know, 52% discounts versus what the health plan would pay. Um, and, and, and so it's like, how do you model that? Like you, you, you can't really, um, but we've we've guessed right, and in fact, we're we're reducing costs next year as opposed to increasing costs because we feel you know really really good about the fact that people are actually utilizing us to help them bring down these costs. So, um, you know, candidly, it was a bit of a swag, um, and you know, thank God it worked out. Um, but that's just kind of startup world, and and we we thought we were being pretty conservative on it and we were. And so we're going to actually reduce costs next year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You miss a hundred percent of the chances uh, you don't take. All right. Awesome stuff, man. So listen, have you, have you read a book uh, called crossing the chasm? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So Jeffrey was on my show and he talks about this idea of like, you know, finding a, a niche or an, an audience that's small oh, yeah. enough, small enough to lead, but big enough to matter. And I'm curious to unpack that for our audience. Like what has been, your approach to getting that early, you know, like to crossing the chasm, like, is it families? Is it, you know, like how have you, have you decided on like, who is your audience that's small enough to lead, but big enough to matter? Or was it kind of like just a word of nothing that got you to grow? Oh, you did? Okay. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I I love crossing uh, chasm and, and uh, you know, there's, there's another one that came out uh, called, um, uh, it's about network effects from a VC in Silicon Valley, the cold start problem. Um, and both talk about, yeah, like finding this, this, this niche. And, you know, so what we did last year was I went on something like 60 different podcasts and they were everything from, you know, the, the, the left of the left politically to the right of the right politically. And then I got like, a, a golf podcast and a mom, you know, a mommy and me podcast and, a um, I'm trying to think of other ones that I was on. Oh, a, a lawn mowing service podcast, like all these podcasts. Right. And I'm like, okay, so which one's going to resonate? And so what we found is, is the ones that re- resonated with libertarians, um, the Bitcoiners, libertarians, Bitcoiners, like those folks like love the fact that they can relieve themselves, remove themselves under kind of having to submit to a health insurance company to take care of their own health. Like crowd health says, no, it's between you and your doctor. We, we don't want to get in between you and your doctor. Um, the government shouldn't get in between you and your government, it, be, between you and your, your doctor. And so that totally resonates with, with that crowd. I tend to lean more of a libertarian. I'm a Bitcoiner myself. And so that was, you know, maybe it's my enthusiasm for that, you know, group of people, but those are our people right now. Um, they tend to lean male, they tend to lean single, and those people tend to be less risk averse and so are willing to try something different. 
So, and that is a big group of, of people, big enough of a group of people to, to get my initial, um, you know, group set up. So we've got thousands of those people who have signed up over the last, you know, 18 months. Um, and it's a great, great group for us. Um, and, and there's a number of other characteristics around those people that make them especially good as kind of our, our core initial group. Mm-hmm. So I'm very curious about that because uh, it is novel, isn't it? It's weird novel again. Sure. <laughs> maybe, or maybe I should insightful. have called it novel health, not crowd health. Uh, yeah, novel. exactly, exactly. And, and <laughs> I, I came across uh, this article on your site called Bitcoin Fixes Healthcare, and it's about the reintroduction of free market economics into healthcare. I'd love for you just to spend a minute or two on this one, given the fact that we've now identified that there's this Bitcoin community, if you like, this libertarian mm-hmm. mindset that you're using to actually cross the chasm. So um, what do you mean by reintroducing free market economics into healthcare? Unpack yeah. that for us. Yeah, yeah, so you know, if you kind of think about healthcare right now, there is nothing free market about it. Um, there is a an insurance company and these big hospital systems. The insurance company, the vast majority of people are in one of five insurance companies. In any city, um, there are kind of generally two or three hospital systems. And so you have these, you know, somewhat monopolistic insurance companies trying to negotiate with duopolistic or sometimes monopolistic health health systems. And there is no negotiating that's happening there. And in fact, the health insurance plan, as mentioned earlier, has really no incentive to negotiate the prices down so the prices just go up. So there's there is not a free market that's ha- happening within within healthcare right now. And so I tell people and I truly believe that this is a, a true statement. I have more negotiating power as an individual than United Healthcare does with my local hospital systems. And this is what this is what I mean. If I have a huge event. Let's just say, you know, um, I get cancer, right? And it's a million dollar claim. It's a million dollar health event. Um, United Healthcare has to pay that million dollars. Like that is the the price in contract that they have to pay. The hospital system actually has an, has a decision with me. Um, they can charge me a million dollars, or they can negotiate with me, right? And so I'm actually going to negotiate with my local hospital and I'm going to be able to negotiate that million dollars down to $300,000 because their only other option is to put me into bankruptcy. Um, And actually we have code, we have a law in the United States that says, if you don't agree upon what the price is going to be before the service is rendered, you have to negotiate in good faith afterwards, right? So the hospital system has to negotiate with me, whereas they don't really have to negotiate within United Healthcare. Right. So I have way more power to negotiate these prices. And that's why we're getting prices down by, you know, 52% versus what the health plans pay. That is showing us that we can negotiate this better than, than, than health plans. Um, and so it's, it, we're, we're introducing free market economics back into, into the healthcare system. There's a, a second component of that that I think is important for this Bitcoin piece. Right. One of the problems that we have is that these health insurance plans are holding, you know, big piles of cash in bank accounts, which just sit there. Right. Any interest off of those goes to a healthy health insurance plan, not to the end user of that that service. Right. So the health insurance plan gets 100 percent of that. So it's a super inefficient way to hold capital. Um, and so what we're saying is like, look, you can hold capital in your own account. And you can invest it in whatever way you want, 
And you get the benefit of that as opposed to the health insurance company gets the benefit of that. So you can even hold it in Bitcoin if you want to, which I truly believe as a Bitcoiner is anti-inflationary, whereas this big pool of capital is melting because, you know, as we are seeing inflation be what it was 8.2% or 8.3% or something like that last month mm-hmm. is actually, you know, melting. So they actually have to raise the price to offset the, the reduction in the value of the dollars being held in that account. So we're using, you know, just capitalistic economics um, to actually improve the value to, you know, our members. So kind of two components of that. One is you get the value of, of the increase in the, in, in the value of your account and you are able to negotiate better with these big hospital systems than United Healthcare or Cigna or Aetna or whoever. Mm-hmm. Amazing, man. That's really cool. So listen, what's the vision for this company? I mean, what is the ultimate difference that you hope to make to, you know, Americans initially, but I mean, you can obviously scale this anyway. So what is the ultimate contribution that you hope to make? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, my goal is not to save money for a few people. I mean, my goal ultimately here is to force hospital systems ultimately to change their cost structures so that we can have a significant reduction of healthcare costs in the United States. And the only way we're going to be able to do that is, um, you know, th- through the free market economics that we've, we've just talked about. Hospitals, from my perspective, are some of the worst run organizations on the planet. Um, they are so overburdened with admin and healthcare costs, or, or admin primarily costs. And so if we can rip the admin costs out of the hospital system, we'll actually be able to get our bills down 30, 40, 50% probably. And so that's what I really truly want to do is, is, is rip all those admin costs out, create some efficiencies so that we can actually reduce our healthcare spend by 30, 40, or 50%, as opposed to seeing healthcare go up 26% next year. Um, and I think that's a reasonable thing to do. You know, all these, these, these health insurance plans are doing this because they have contracts literally with like millions of lines of code for every different doctor and every hospital system throughout the, the the country. And so they have to have this big, huge administrative burden to be able to, to deal with that and to keep, you know, fraud from coming into, you know, the system and things like that. Yet, um, they're like, let us do this as, as individuals paying for healthcare. You know, I want to, I want to be the one that determines whether or not the, the care that I'm giving is a fraudulent care or, or not. So mm. I think what's, Ripping out that admin, admin cost is going to save us a, a, a ton of money, and it's going to force hospitals to rethink their cost structure. Just real quick, you know, the average baby in the United States costs uh, $14,000. So um, William and Kate and their last baby, we all know, you know, Prince William, right, um, and had their baby at the Ritz-Carlton of hospitals in the middle of London, and it was $9,000. Like this is London, right? This is the most one of the most expensive cities on the planet. And they were able to have their baby at the best hospital in one of the most expensive cities in the planet for $9,000. Yet the average cost of a baby in the United States is 14000 right? That doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not that these hospitals can't do it. It's just the system is set up so that it's so expensive to do it that – our prices are twice as high as as any other country, basically. Mm-hmm. So it's it's ridiculous, dude. 
like there's something systemically wrong with that. So I'm glad <laughs> I'm glad you're doing something about it. Um, just to, I want to change gears quickly and, and maybe share some founder stories. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and you were talking to me about uh, the movie Facebook and Eduardo. Uh, you know, he goes yeah. goes to his dad to get money, uh, etc. You guys have obviously raised money. Um, what have you learned uh, about raising money in the market the way that it is that you feel like other founders could benefit uh, from? Sure. Um, man, this is a hard one because I I raised money my first time. I raised money. It was in you know, the midst of maybe one of the most you know one of the craziest times in the history of our country to raise money i mean just people were throwing cash at anything and everything right and that was my first round <laughs> my second round was like 2 months ago which is we're in the middle of an inflationary environment the stock market is way down everybody's tightening up so it was it was much much more di- difficult the the second time around even though we've the the company has shown tons and tons of progress um you know and so i think people look at some of these entrepreneurs who are able to raise money in in awe, right? That they're able to raise so much money, but they were able to raise money in an environment that everybody was able to raise money. Like it's not that impressive. Um, If somebody goes out now and raises money for a new idea, that's impressive. (laughs) That's impressive. Um, And so so let me just start there. I think the other thing that I've learned too is, and this is a generalization. And so, you know, people in the middle of the country, they can yell at me if they want to, but like, this is just a generalization. Um, People in the middle, the VCs in the middle of the country, um, and even on the East Coast to some extent, um, like to invest in things that are iterative, meaning... um, they they are they are incrementally better than the previous thing, right? Like they want to see something successful and they want to iterate on that, and so it's kind of incrementally better. And I want to I want to invest in that incrementally better. What I've seen is is the fo- the folks on the West Coast generally are willing to take bigger swings, you know, bigger swings at wilder ideas, and um, that's what I've kind of just just seen. Right. And so, you know, you look out at Silicon Valley, and you're like, oh, my gosh, like all these massive companies have been able to be get built out of Silicon Valley. I don't think it's the talent. I don't think it's anything like I think it's VCs in Silicon Valley um, are willing to take bigger swings. Generally, that's a generalization. I just something that I've that I've seen. Um, and it in healthcare, it's almost even more so because so everybody is afraid of healthcare, like all the regulatory issues and things like that. Healthcare is a a hard thing to raise, you know, money around because nobody feels like they fully understand it. Um, so those are just some of the things that I've, I've learned. I mean, it's definitely helped. Like my last company, um, you know, I, 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 I started as CEO when I, it was like 20 or 30 people, something like that. And we ended and it was like 300 people. So, um, that was over six years. And so we, I saw the massive growth and people saw that I could do it. And so it's much easier as kind of a second time, you know, CEO to be able to do something like this than, than a first time CEO. So I benefited from that. And I may not have been able to raise it if this was my first time around, especially for an idea that's so crazy. And so kind of inevitably kind of going to, you know, we got to run through some barriers, right. To, to make it work. Yeah. Well, I think uh, I've had this being you know shared with me before, like I've had on the built in California series, I was talking to, um, a number of founders there, Frank Gavrilano, Billy Brash. Um, and I said to them, you know, like 
to your point around the West Coast, like I said, you know, like how much of a role has the Valley actually played in your success? And they were like, it's immeasurable. Yeah. Um, because to your point. It's an ecosystem. It, yeah, dude. But it's almost like, but if you go to a VC and you go, yeah, man, I can walk on water. I need a million dollars. He'll probably believe you. <laughs> Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, cool. That sounds like an interesting, we could all walk on water. It'd be great. Uh, you know, you'd be more likely to be believed, even if the idea is crazy. And I think that's a really interesting um, you know, insight, isn't it, around the mm -hmm. role of the environment? And I'm curious to maybe get your view, uh, being based in Texas, and obviously there's a lot of like it's the new Silicon Valley, Austin, sure. and so on and so forth. Um, is that true? And how much of a role has the environment, the ecosystem uh, of Austin played in, or Texas even uh, played in your success? Yeah, I mean, I think that my my lead investor is here in Austin. Um, they invest in lots of Austin companies. It's called Next Coast Vet Ventures, you know, and and per the name, right? Like they're like, hey, we're, we we want to be the next coast. You know, it, Austin and Texas generally is going to be the next coast. Um, and so I think it's helped, but I, I don't, I can't say it's, you know, we couldn't have done it in St. Louis, Missouri. Like, you know, I, I think all my, almost all my people are remote. Um, there's only two of us that show up in the office every day. We got people in Georgia and Virginia and Indiana and all over the place. And so I think kind of the remote nature of the way that we work now post pandemic is, you know, breaks down that ecosystem a little bit. Um, and so I don't, I don't think it was that super important. I think we'd probably have the same number of customers today if I lived in St. Louis or Des Moines or Kansas city or, or whatever that we had here in, here in Austin. Um, now what I've been able to raise the, raise the money without being in, in Austin, that may have been a little bit harder. Um, one of my, my, like I said, my lead investors in Austin, my second lead investor, we had kind of co-leads is in New York. So, you know, I, I may, I probably still would have gotten that one, but it, it probably would have been a little bit harder to raise money in, in one of those kind of secondary or tertiary cities. Um, but other than that, I, I don't see the ecosystem of, of Austin being all that valuable, just given kind of the remote nature of how we, we work nowadays. It stands to, to reason, doesn't it? Because if you think about like, you know, people, a lot of CEOs are struggling with talent, right? So like distributed teams, how do you scale culture, things like this? How do you attract talent? Because now the pandemic has obviously made this reality um uh, which is, you know, like I can hire anyone from anywhere. You know what I mean? Like, and I think it's more adopted as an idea, mm -hmm. as a premise, isn't it? Um, and so you would imagine that it doesn't really matter where you are. You could be in South Africa, for instance, as long as you have a great, you know, product and you have sure. a great story and you have all those fundamentals in place and you have a network. Um, then why wouldn't you be? Why couldn't you be successful? Do you know what I mean? I know mm -hmm. it's harder. Like I know there's a lot of people. Who go, no, no, no. Like it's you. And I would also say, like if you're in another continent trying to scale in America, it's very, very, very hard. Like you be here. Like don't be there trying to do it here. Like <laughs> yeah, very difficult thing to do. Yeah. Um, no, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. I mean, if you were in South Africa, I love South Africa, by the way. I uh, had my honeymoon there. Um, oh, awesome. I I, uh, I don't think I'd be able to do this from South Africa. Well, I mean, one is just, just like the time difference is, you know, sucks. It just makes everything harder, <laughs> you know? Um, you know, what is it in South Africa right now? Like middle of the night sometime, right? Like, mm. or, you know, or, or late evening or something. Um, and so it'd just be hard to, to make this work from South Africa. But I think anywhere in the United States, it doesn't really matter. Um, where you are. I mean, I've heard people running companies from 
even like Mexico and Colombia and, you know, places like that, but you're still in the same time zone. So it doesn't really matter. Um, so, and, and the, I think the beauty of remote work. Yeah. And I think that's a really important point, right? It's like you must, I think if you're going to scale in America, like I think in America, you know, it's like America. it's an America, America. It's like an, it's a, it's a, it's such a huge market for something like what you're doing. It's like you don't really need to go anywhere else. You know what I mean? Yeah, like this. Totally. For how many million? 300 million, 350 million? Yeah, 350 something like or something like that. I mean, it's ridiculous. And they all need, I mean, to be quite honest, like that number of like 2.1 trillion just private sector health insurance, like that's the, op- I mean, if you put that into like Africa and then you did the exchange on mm-hmm. that, like people's minds can't even do the math. It's so beyond comprehension, like the size of it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, even in the startup space, there's 99 startups, legit, this is the last d- data I heard, 99 startups in Africa, the whole of Africa, so landmass is bigger than the US, but in the whole of Africa, right, the entire startup ecosystem, 99 startups have raised a million dollars or more in the last 12 months. In the US, there's over 12,500. Wow, that's a cool stat. It is, right? Um, like, I can, I know... Uh, there's probably like two VC firms in the whole of Africa that that are actually any good. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's it's so small. But I would, you know, this is what I'm saying. So like if you're a South African, let's just say you're in Israel, like you got to have a team here. Like I spoke to uh, Lucia. They're like a data intelligence company. Like they're coming after Zoom Info and stuff, but built in Israel, scanned Asia, pack, scaled rather, Asia, pack, Europe, mm-hmm. Africa. Um, and now they're like, yo, we got money behind us. We want to come after the big money. Like, and guess where they're coming? America. America. <laughs> look, I, I mean, look, I, I, I hear you on that. I mean, I, I, um, I know this is not the topic of, of our conversation, but I, I my, about 30% of my assets are actually investing in companies in Africa. Um, because I do think there is such opportunity over there. Um, and I just, I have a heart for that. For that continent so i have you know a significant chunk of my my assets going into to really cool i think really cool companies over there that are doing some really neat things and and innovating um and and the 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 requirement for a return is higher um because there's just way more unknown um and so you know, I, I and I like that. <laughs> you know, you, you help help humanity while also investing in a for profit organization. Like those are the things I can get fired up about. I know, right? And but this, but you know, the I think if you if you change the context, you change the whole conversation. I'm actually very, totally. in, I'm very interested. I'm like, I'm very, I wouldn't even say it, like surprised that you've that like you've got that amount of cash sitting into into African startups. I agree, like the opportunities there like there's probably like i suppose if you if you created a truly novel marketplace for insurance like maybe what naked insurance has done um then then great you you know absolutely you can scale and and so on and so forth but typically because africa like south africa there's 45 million people say 51 for 45 50 million people um and there's a story about snap scan so by the way mobile payments in africa way more advanced than america than america mm. than america like no doubts trust me i know <laughs> uh, like i've been in both ecosystems like africa's way more advanced because we forced to innovate in that space mm-hmm. because there's such an informal market that's not banked like whatsoever like the informal trade sector in africa 
There's a great book you should read. Everyone should read. It's called Casonomic Revolution. And, ca- and ca- the casonomics is basically the informal trade sector, meaning it's the money that flows between people through the exchange of goods and services in an informal manner, meaning it's mm. not tracked anywhere. It's not banked anywhere. It's handed with cash or it's put under, in, or it's put into stock fills or it's staved under uh, mattresses and things like that. Like the size of the casonomic industry dwarfs like it, it's not even compared. It's like the U.S. versus Africa in terms of mm-hmm. insurance. It's the same idea uh, because in Africa people don't trust the banks. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's what opportunity. But if you could tap that up, like imagine the opportunity. So the startups in in South Africa and in Africa generally, once they've got some kind of product market fit, they go to a corporate to get access to to millions of customers overnight. So their scale thing is not be direct to, to consumer. It's usually B to B, so but like startup to the sure. corporate standard bank as an example, and then uh, you know, and then you get ten million customers overnight. Like that, yeah. that's that's what happens. One of my bigger bigger investments is a company called Paga, which is in Nigeria, which is kind of the square of Nigeria. Um, and the funny funny thing about that is, I wired this guy money, which is a good chunk of money, and you know, I'm wiring money to Nigeria. Right, which is not the easiest thing to do. It literally disappeared for like four days, and I was like, "Wow, I just probably, you know, sent this to a Nigerian prince or something." Like you know, <laughs> that we all that we all get those emails every day. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, yeah. "Wow, I'm I've totally lost a ton of money on this," but th- thank God he got the money and he's doing awesome. He's just totally crushing it. So, and I knew that guy <laughs> through through business school. He went to Stanford with me, so um, I, there was a relationship there. But I, yeah, I have a I have a heart for. For folks over there and I, I love that continent there's something something about africa that just draws me in mm-hmm. well i'm glad you're you're doing the leap man because we need more f- forward-thinking people such as yourself helping you know like even just angels because there is like it's interesting right like the i say that there's 99 stars but actually if you compare the growth <laughs> you know it's like especially in the financial service space e-commerce uh, there was, and you know, um, a lot and weird, like it's Nigeria, like there's so much innovation, funnily enough, happening in Nigeria mm-hmm. with e-commerce platforms and payment platforms and things like this, that they're starting to get picked up by PE firms sitting in the U.S. Yeah. Yep, totally, totally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and the interesting thing about Africa too is uh, health insurance, health care is you know way beyond our way way kind of way behind what what we're doing here in the united states and there's actually something very similar to what crowd health is doing um but has they've been doing it for you know decades now in kenya um so there's very much a community aspect of taking care of other people's health care by community members pitching in you know dollars or not dollars whatever the equivalent is um, into you know helping individuals in their community, and so it very much is is similar to the way that we're we're doing things. We're just putting a technology platform on top of it and making it a little more efficient. Um, so I met some guy at the conference, actually, interestingly, the Bitcoin conference, and uh, last year in Miami, and he's like, "Oh yeah, they're doing something very very similar in, in in Kenya. They just don't have the technology platform on top of it." And so I was like, "Great, that means it works. If it works in Kenya, we can get it to work here." <laughs> Yeah, if exactly. If you can get it to work in Africa, you can get it to work anywhere. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's classic, man. So look, um, just a couple of questions and we'll wrap sure. up, Andy. So yeah. 
if I, I just want to have a bit of fun with you. So I'm going to give you the keys to the Matt Brown show time machine. I'd love for you to go back to like day one when you were like, hey, I want to give the bird to <laughs> traditional insurance uh, and I want to really make a difference. So if you went, if you could go back to yourself and sit across from yourself day one, what advice would you give yourself now that you've n- learned so much and, and overcome so much mm-hmm. about building this startup? Yeah, so my my last company, as I, I mentioned, I, I I joined as CEO and we had a couple dozen people, and the infrastructure was 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 kind of built. the The product was kind of built, um, but and with the startup, it's very different. Like you have to start from literally zero. Like you don't even have a bank account. Like you have to go to the bank and get a bank account. And so, um, I underestimated the similarities between an existing company and a brand new company, just because the existing company was so small. I thought that there'd be tons of similarities. And the people required to get that company from you know zero to ten million dollars um, is just different with a startup than it is with an existing company. And so, one of the things that I learned, and I think you know any of the entrepreneurs out there, you know, hopefully this will um, resonate with them, is you know the people in a startup are more like you know uh, special forces. They're more like Navy SEALs. You know, they go in, they get stuff done. They fire away and they're going to miss sometimes, but they're going to, you know, iterate and deviate from, you know, what they thought was going to work. And, and so like, it's, it's a special forces team that are going in and getting stuff done. Right. So I need special forces. And what I had, what I did is I hired a bunch of generals, you know, people who were like good up here and would be good at delegating down to a group of people but weren't the actual ones like on the ground firing away at the enemy. Right. And what you need in a startup is people who are firing away at the enemy. Um, And so that was one of my biggest learnings um, is I I was hiring people from really big companies who are super successful, but weren't the doers of those companies because there's a lot of other doers in big companies. And so what I found is I need people from entrepreneurial startups who are the doers and get stuff done. That's my biggest learning, you know, over the last year and a half, what's doing a startup is that the people that you need, it's not a horsepower thing. It's not an intelligence thing. It's a personality and just a skill set thing. You need the Navy SEALs as opposed to the generals in a startup. Mm-hmm. I love that. I just tweeted that. <laughs> so uh, look, let's wrap this up, uh, Andy. Why do you do what you do? I mean, you could solve any problems, it seems. Um why this one? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Yeah, you know, I, I my, my wife asked me that sometimes too. Um, because, you know, the first time I say this humbly, the first the first company went just incredibly well. Um, you know, we sold that company for nine digits. It went awesome. I don't have to do this. Um, I, I want to do this because I truly want to make an impact. I mean, it's the impact for me. It's not the dollars. I mean, I, told, I joked with the my investors, I was like, look, I want to make you guys a lot of money. If I make a lot of money, I'm going to go buy a new fishing rod. Like, that's what I really want is just a new fishing rod. Like, that's the extent of it. So it's not a dollars thing. It's not a number of zeros in the bank account because that just doesn't motivate me. It's like, I, I, I want I want zero people to go bankrupt due to healthcare events next year, right? Not 250,000 families. You know, that's what breaks me. I want I want our obesity rates to go from 40% back down to 15% like they were four or five decades ago. Um, you know, and and try to motivate people to do that because I I want the the human flourishing that that comes with 
you know, having a, a, a body body that's, you know, physically fit and, you know, way more able to take care of your kids and your grandkids and go on great vacations to Cape town and, and stuff like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think through crowd health, we can accomplish those things. So that to me is, is why I'm, I'm doing this. It's, it's not for the zeros. It's, it's for the, z- the, the reduction of the number of, of zeros, you know, people have to spend on, on healthcare. Yeah, like well, exactly. It's the zero to one, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah in your case, for sure. in, in your case, one to zero. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. But uh, Andy, it's been a real privilege having you here, man, and shooting the breeze with you. Um, yeah, man, I think what you're doing is novel, as we touched on, and I, I it, it's so needed. Um, and I think if you are able to get any kind of scale whatsoever, like you're not only going to make a great difference, but you're going to be, uh, you know, a far more um, wealthier individual, not pers- not a- not only personally but also uh, materially too. So, wishing you all the best for the for the future, mate. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Cheers, guys. Have Bye a good now. one. Ever wanted to become a best-selling author? Well, I'm in the influence business and I work with business owners and CEOs and business leaders to help them scale their influence. And we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author, sought-after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days. My team and I have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300% faster and 50% less cost than anyone else in North America. This system is incredibly efficient. One of my clients Haiku went from a 2% share of voice globally to an 11% share of voice globally in only seven days. If you'd like more information, head on over to showworksmedia.com for more. That is showworks with an X.com.